And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Sean Rittnar, Professor of Economics, Grove City College. Dr. Rittnar, it's a great pleasure to have you on with us again. Oh well, thank you. It's it's always it's always a treat. I'm I'm very honored to be uh, to be asked back. I think the listeners getting the clue that any time we have Dr. Rittnar on, we're going to be talking a little bit about economics and tying in the scripture to that. So uh, today, I'm interested in the subject, Dr. Rittnar, of um, how do I put it? When government um, intervenes, let's say in in an economy and maybe sets prices or does something that I kind of feel like is unnatural, you know, and not really free market. Um, What ensues? What follows after these actions by government? Well, uh, that's a great question, because they they like to do that a lot. And in general, um, they're depending upon the particular type of intervention, there is any number of uh, negative consequences, and I say negative in the sense that they actually work against the desires, the, the stated desires of people that um, put forth the policy. Um, and, and, and in some sense, it, it, we should in some sense expect this because what the intervention is doing is sort of like uh, you know, kicking against the goads. It's, it's an attempt to thwart the economic laws that God has put in place to govern uh, our uh, interaction in the marketplace. Uh, the laws that God put in place are there because uh, He made us in, in His image. And so all humans act purposefully, and uh, they act purposefully by applying the particular uh, means and economic goods that they have at their disposal uh, according to their understanding of uh, reality and their understanding of the laws of cause and effect to achieve certain ends that they have. And so one of, the, one of the parts of our nature is that God has made us economizing creatures. He, he's made us in a way that we, in some sense, we desire to be good stewards of the resources with which he's given us. We don't like to waste things. Um, of course, we, we live in a fallen world, so often the, the ends that we choose are not God's ends, and the means that we use to achieve those ends often aren't, aren't his ends. But, but that doesn't mean that our, our, our fundamental nature, like who we are, is an economizing being. And that, that, that gives us, that implies, shall we say, you know, laws of supply and demand, the law of demand that says that if the price of a good, for instance, goes up, uh, people are going to buy less of it. They're going to, they're going to, or they're going to buy less of something else, so that they can, with their limited income, achieve uh, the most highly valued ends. And um, you know, I, I can tell you uh, from a, a story that I know of. Uh, we haven't had um, you know serious, serious uh, price controls, for instance. Other than I would say, you know, in terms of the, in labor law, we do have minimum wage laws that are seem to be with us forever. But um, it's it's rare that we have uh, explicit, uh, say, price controls, uh, price ceilings on on consumer goods. Usually, when governments do this, they they do this for reasons that seem good, right? Um, I'm thinking I can I can tell you a story about a uh, a man who, in some sense, got caught up with. Well, large-scale uh, price controls in the 1970s. Um, this is an era where the uh, monetary inflation of the 60s was was coming home to roost, and uh, prices in general 
were going up. Uh, prices, for instance, from, from January 1969 onward, for just a little over a year and a half, prices, the consumer price index rose by 14% in just a year and a half. Uh, that's something we haven't seen in a while, and it's something that they had not seen. And people were, were very nervous. Uh, people were very concerned. And uh, primarily, people were thinking, well, I can't afford to buy the staples. I can't afford to buy milk for my family. I can't afford to buy uh, meat for my family. What are we going to do? And uh, without warning, uh, the the Nixon administration imposed wage and price control programs in 1971, in August of 1971. And he announced sort of a, 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 multi-phase, a multi-phase program. And it culminated, uh, well, it didn't actually culminate, but an important part late in the process is what something called the Great Meat Freeze. And that's what this, this man got caught up in. He was uh, a man who worked in a, a meatpacking plant. Uh, he was married, had two children, and uh, worked in the, in the middle of Nebraska. And um, he was, you know, had a decent paying job and was, was, was doing well. And then uh, Nixon uh, and the Nixon administration intervened and put price controls on things. And uh, from August 15th of 71 to November 13th, so for a couple months there, wages, prices, and land rents were just were frozen. And then uh, after that followed phase two that was had less severe controls. Um, it required that you know the wages and prices weren't frozen, but they had to stay within some strict guidelines overseen by government commissions. Large firms had to get approval before any increase in wages and prices. Smaller firms had to report just report any increases uh, that exceeded the guidelines, and so it was a little bit more flexible. After January of '73, uh, wages and prices became basically self-regulated, and it caused many to believe, okay, the controls have been lifted. Well, when you lift price controls uh, that have been keeping prices and wages below their market level, well, then the market's going to reestablish the, 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 the true, the true uh, prices, if you will. And so prices began to increase. And specifically, the price of meat, poultry, fish, and eggs uh, increased approximately 26 percent uh, in just about um, a year's time, and uh, that was that. I mean, that's that's huge, and that caused a lot of uh, a lot of civic unrest. People were very anxious about this, and that led to Nixon uh, refreezing prices on June 13, 1973, and uh, he issues an executive order without warning. Uh, without any debate, and he freezes all prices on uh, meat and especially beef uh, paid by consumers. Um, and what's important about this, too, is that it did not cover the prices, say, of unprocessed agricultural products or land rents and wages. So wages paid to workers, say, in the beef industry continued to could, could go up. Land rents uh, paid to ranchers and farmers could continue to go up and to, uh, you know, if, if, if say, a meat processor was renting his facility, his rent could go up that he had to pay. Uh, the uh, price of uh, live cattle on the hoof, that was allowed to continue to go up. Right? So you had um, the uh, prices of, of dressed processed beef was frozen, but the price of the cattle, the price of labor, the price of rents all could continue to fluctuate according to the market, to the market rate. Um, 
Now, this was supposed to be a temporary phase that, that Nixon announced uh, until uh, a more effective set of price controls could be put into place. And in the speech that uh, Nixon made announcing this, Nixon emphasized that the goal was not to permanently control the economy, but thought that control these particular controls were, quote, a better way to get us out of a controlled economy, end quote. And uh, he stated he wanted to avoid rationing black markets and a recession. And, um, of course, the, the problem is that uh, the, the consequences was exactly what he, 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 he didn't want. Um, because what we have in this kind of situation is what we call an effective price ceiling. It's a price ceiling. A uh, ceiling, uh, price ceiling, of course, is, 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 a, is a maximum legal price. So you can't, you couldn't sell beef above above a particular price. If you if you did that, um, if you were a grocery store and tried to do that, you'd get busted by the price commission. Uh, you would uh, probably get get a cease and desist order. You could get fined for price gouging. And of course, I mean, if you continue to persist, I mean, it could even it could even uh, you know degenerate into uh, you know probably putting you know spending time behind bars and that kind of thing. So. It's you know it's a, it was a pretty serious business and and what that meant was of course if you keep the price artificially low, um, you have a situation where because the price is kept lower than otherwise would be the quantity demanded people wanted to buy more beef at this artificially low price. At the same time, the sellers of beef are are, are not wanting to sell as much at this artificially low price. And uh, the the thing that the the Nixon administration wanted to avoid is exactly what is exactly what happened. The grocers turned to rationing. Um, they began uh, participating in the black market. There were certain people that were uh, would agree to you know sell processed beef you know under the table for for uh, a price closer to the market price. Um, and then you would have. Uh, a situation where the beef processors were squeezed, and this is getting to my to my story. It's a long introduction, but but the story is uh, we'll, we'll see how it's all related, right? So by the end of um, uh, July 1973, uh, we have a situation where um, you had beef processors, beef processing plants that uh, had their costs continuing to go up. Uh, and I should say, why, why, why did the costs go up? Primarily because of significant monetary inflation that stimulated demand for all these products, right? So uh, the, the government, the Federal Reserve, I should say, uh, throughout the 60s was increasing the money supply. And um, that, of course, when people get more money in their pockets, their incomes increases, their monetary incomes increase, and so they want to spend more money on different things, and so that increases the demands for goods in general, and that increases overall prices. So the prices in general of all things are going up, and this is going to be not just the prices of, say, consumer goods, but the manufacturer of those consumer goods then can demand more labor and pay more wages or higher wages to their labor, so wages go up, land rents go up, uh, the price of other factors of production increase. So we have, we have overall prices inflation. And so that's what that's what happens and then in 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 the particular agricultural market you have that you had a situation where in 72 and 73 there was a um, significantly uh, bad weather conditions in certain parts of the uh, certain parts of the globe that caused uh, grain production to be way down in certain areas. And so for instance, uh, Russia had a, high, a relatively high demand for our agricultural products 
So it elevated the demand beyond just the demand that we were feeling because of monetary inflation. It elevated the demand, and hence the prices of, of beef and um, and uh, other agricultural products, poultry, increased. And that's what really led to the putting uh, the price controls on. Well, the price controls just exacerbated a, a, uh, a bad situation, shall we say, because, as I said, the, the, the meat processors... Their prices that they could sell the products were fixed, but their costs were all going up and up. And, and so at some point they said, look, we cannot continue even to break even if we continue to process, so they shut down. And by the end of 1973, uh, approximately 9,000 uh, workers in the meatpacking plant industry had been laid off at 100 different plants uh, that had been forced to close or cut back on production. And... Um, Cattlemen also began uh, withholding their beef from the market uh, until the anticipated uh, lifting of the price controls uh, in September that was, I guess, had been ordered by the president as well. So you've got all of these different uh, interventions coming to bear. You had the monetary inflation of the 60s and early 70s uh, affecting prices, and then Instead of allowing the market price adjustment process to do its work, the government tried to thwart it with a price ceiling and a shortage. And um, that, that, that came to bear in the fact that, or, you know, came to bear on the lives of at least 9,000 workers that were laid off. Now, uh, I know about this, this one guy because uh, he was my father. Uh, he was the man who had a wife and two children and lived in the middle of Nebraska, and uh, he was laid off. And, of course, when you're laid off, you don't get paid. And so he had to uh, look for other work. He ended up uh, going to work, uh, finding work in the hay fields of western Nebraska. And, um, you know, thankfully it, it only lasted a, about six weeks. Uh, so he was spent about six weeks away from the family. Um, Kate was able to come home on some weekends. But, um, you know, when you're when you're... When you're, you know, seven years old, uh, six weeks feels like forever. Uh, but um, you know, looking back, it was not as bad as it could have been. But um, it, it just goes to me. It goes to uh, speaks uh, very personally to this to this uh, idea that when 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 government enacts price controls to try to solve a problem, they don't actually solve the problem. It, it makes things worse. They were they were trying to make it easier for people to afford meat, and what happens? The meat goes away. Uh, the, the 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 number of, of of steaks and 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 pounds of hamburger that was available at the grocery stores shrank in some cases to nothing. I remember when I, I do remember myself uh, watching a TV show or a news program, and uh, there was a, uh, a film footage of this 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 elderly lady looking at the last steak in a in a meat uh, in a meat bin at a grocery store. And while she was sort of looking at it, holding it in her hand, deciding should she put it in the in the in the cart or not, this other younger woman comes up to her and just grabs it out of her hand, throws it in her own cart, and takes off. Oh well. And and so, you know, it th- this type of intervention not only creates, shall we say, private hardship uh, for families, but it also creates social conflict. It puts it puts people in a position where no longer. Uh, do the potentially conflicting interests, you know, trying to uh, decide, well, who, if, if there's more than one person that wants this piece of steak, who gets it? Instead of being able to resolve it peacefully through the price system, 
Well, it's resolved through the through the grabbing system, through the taking system. I'm just going to grab it out of your hands, and you know, if 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 I happen to smash my card into you, and and you know have you throw out a hip that's your own problem you know so it creates social conflict as well as just sort of a private hardship mm, yeah that, that's a great example it i didn't even know that was going on in the uh, 60s into the 70s during the nixon administration in those days i was a young man had no clue of what was happening really at, at the political level or economic level just totally oblivious to it all uh, but it looks like from what you describe, uh, that once we start down a path of price controls and controlling maybe one sector, it kind of has a unintended consequences ripple effect. It affects just naturally. Other areas respond that are still a free market area, and then they realize, oh no, we need we need either to back off on this, or now we got to have more controls of more areas. Oh, that, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. uh, th- thankfully, when the short, the real shortages hit in response to these, uh, the draconian, um, what they call the meat freeze, um, thankfully, uh, the administration sort of recognized the error of their ways and, and was committed enough to a relatively free market that they did not go, say, the way of Italy during Mussolini or, uh, say, the, the way of the Nazis, which would have been to say, okay, if the, the meat processors couldn't afford to, you know, the, the price controls were put on processed beef, say, uh, processed steaks, well, they could have then lobbied and say, wait a minute, we cannot, we cannot function this way, we cannot continue to produce beef this way, and they could have lobbied, and they, the government could have decided, well, the solution is then we need to put a price control on, on live cattle. You know, we, we put a price ceiling on what ranchers can sell their, or feedlots can sell their cattle for, and then the feedlots would be squeezed, which they were being squeezed a little bit anyway. Well, then, then they could have lobbied for a price ceiling to be put on uh, the, uh, the steers that they buy from the ranchers, and then the ranchers had been the ones that had the squeeze put on them, and the ranchers could have lobbied to have price ceilings put on their land rents or their feed or whatever, and then the next thing you know... The entire economy is uh, controlled uh, through official prices, and you end up getting sort of a fascist-style, uh, so- true, true socialism in the sense that, yes, everybody has a piece of paper that says that they own their property, but the government uh, actually controls the price at which you can uh, charge for your property if you're a producer. And hence, in some sense, they could also... Uh, dictate the sort of the acceptable uh the acceptable suppliers of your factors of production and so uh in in one sense if if you accept the logic of price controls at one level it creates uh negative consequences often uh unintended consequences that then calls for uh more and more controls and especially in if you're in a democratic situation a democratic uh, system uh, where the, the the masses or a good portion of the populace do not understand the laws of economics, then it's natural for them to want to uh, have the government to control the prices uh, all the way along the the production uh, structure, and before you know it, you end up with a with a fully socialized economy, and the the whole thing. Uh, it's like throwing 
throwing sand into the gears of machinery. The, the bottlenecks show up, things come to a, to a, to a grinding halt, uh, efficiency you know, goes out the window, and we become a lot less productive, and, 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 and overall we become a lot, uh, lot less prosperous and, and, and relatively poor. Yes, yes. I'm thinking about uh, entrepreneurs, those folks who have a desire to create something new, market it, and honestly earn a living. Um, there is a a great deal of, um, I want to say, risk or a or a guttural feel that oh man, this is um, this doesn't have much security to it. You know, this is kind of risky. And I think that holds back people many times from starting something new, uh, risking something. And yet, if they were willing to say, okay, <laughs> as a Christian, I'm going to trust God. You know, he's leading me in this direction. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he holds a year from now, but I do know I'm going to take this next step. I've sought counsel from godly men and women, and I know how to do the next step. Uh, he's leading me in that direction. I'm going to start this business, or I'm going to start this radio ministry, or whatever. A church planner is going to go to a, a new section of town because God's directing. It's, I, I think we, we fall into the trap, uh, as men of God, of not taking the next step because we love our security too much. And, and mm. this, this intervention by government, I think, uh, plays into that, where, where, we give in too easily to say, oh, yeah, big government, please, just intervene here. I just need some security for the next couple of months and, and, and lower these prices for me. Oh, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's sort of a, an economic version of trading our liberty for security. Yeah. Um, it's, it's people, yeah, I mean, I, I think that when there are two things going on, right? There is certain people, I think that there are a number of people that will ask for uh, government privilege in one way or the other, and, you know, maybe in the form of price controls or other, or other things, um, uh, because they're greedy, because they think, well, if I, if, you know, they, they think if I get this special privilege, I'll be better off. On the other hand, you have coupled with that uh, the idea that uh, if, if uh, you know, if, if the, the state becomes in some sense the God who provides, then... Uh, we can look to the state for our economic security, uh, and of course, that is a, a role that the the governments, that the state, the magistrates, not been uh, tasked with providing for. Mm-hmm. And so, you do get this. I, I do think there's a correlation between uh, sort of a, a, a society that, that that more and more turns its back on uh, Christ and walks away from Christ. They still feel the need that they need that they need something bigger than themselves that they want to turn to. And in our day, the the only the only uh, institution uh, that seems large enough in the modern mind to take care of us from cradle to grave is the state. And so, mm. you know, if you have a society that's increasingly, uh, you know. Uh, not wanting to, or finds it difficult to, or just refuses to trust God. Then yes, you have a situation where they're going to have to turn to somebody else, and and often it is the state. And yeah. and and on top of that, if if they're turning away from the Lord, both in terms of finding their uh, security and significance in Christ, they're also turning away from His moral law, 
And so you have, you know, the, the furthering of, uh, of covetousness, envy, greed, etc. And, and all of this works, works together to push us to uh, an economic system that uh, might seem like it's booming for a while, but over time there's going to be sort of, uh, you know, uh, things, uh, sins that's going to eat away at the foundations and it's going to leave us all in a worse position. Mm, yeah. We got about um, a minute left to the interview today. If someone wants to read more about this, uh, Dr. Rittnar is our guest today, professor of economics, Grove City College. What would you recommend, Dr. Rittnar, that they obtain or go to a website, whatever, to read more? Oh, that's a good good question. Um, I would say on for daily economics uh, news and analysis, um, a good place to go is uh, the Mises dot org m i s e s dot o r g. That's the website for the Ludwig von Mises Institute, and their economic analysis is is uh, is sound. I uh, they take the Misesian framework, which I use. Um, if you want uh, a more more in depth uh, understanding of of economic principles, uh, but yet at an introductory level, I, I would uh, humbly recommend my own book, uh, Foundations of Economics: A Christian View, where I I specifically try to. Uh, explain how the laws of economics are indeed laws because they they are part of the created order um, and are implications of the fact that that we human beings all human beings are made in God's image and so I sort of try to draw that connection and show how that connection is is indeed there and there and then on you know going forward explain the laws of supply and demand and explain the, the, the consequences of price controls and various other types of things. That's beautiful. Today we've been talking with Dr. Sean Rittenauer, Professor of Economics, Grove City College. And Professor Rittenauer, it's always enlightening to have you on with us. Thank you for taking your time today and joining our listeners. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 